this week on The Startup Life. You have to have a reason for starting a business other than to make money. Because if the reason you're starting a business is to make money, that is gonna become hollow really fast. All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with Chris Daly, Vice President of Testing and Site Optimization at Disruptive Advertising. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own luck, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. This is Dominic Lawson of The Startup Life brought to you by The Binge Podcast Network. Today we have Chris Daly on the show. What's going on, Chris? Hey, you know, um, just loving life right now. Thanks for having me on today. I hear that. I hear that. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? I'll do my very best. Awesome. Awesome. So let's do it, man. So tell us about your story uh, of entrepreneurship and then tell us a little bit about uh, daily conversion and then disruptive conversion because we went through a merger, if you will, right? So kind of just tell us all about that a little bit. So I'm, I'm not your typical entrepreneur in the sense that I, I have not always wanted to start a business. In fact, when I was uh, when I first started going to school to college, I was a video game junkie. I was gotcha. one of the laziest students you've ever seen. I probably failed more classes than I passed. Um, mm -hmm. And so, um, it, you know, and at the time, um, this is about a little over ten years ago. I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, I was just trying to make ends meet. So. I went out and I got a I got a sales job selling for a company that did digital marketing. I didn't know anything about digital marketing. I just wanted a job. And I fell in love with what I started selling. So I was at the time I was selling search engine optimization, okay. which is all about, you know, getting companies uh, ranked on Google. And the, the idea just fascinated me. Like I had no idea that there was so much work that went on behind the scenes. So I started to fall in love with the industry. Uh, I applied for an internal job after, I don't know, four or five months of doing sales. Gotcha. And got it. And so I, I started my career in digital marketing that way. So fast forward about four years, you know, I, I started doing search engine optimization, driving traffic to websites. The company I was at at the time, we were having a conversion problem. So we were getting people to the site, but they weren't doing anything. Right. And so I'm sitting there trying to figure out, well, how come nothing's happening? Like what's going on? And um, that's when I discovered the field that I'm in now, which is conversion rate optimization. I discovered that you can run tests on a website. You can test a couple of experiences against each other and see which one performs better to like learn what people actually want. And I mean, you know, my love just grew for the industry. And so I just dove headfirst into, uh, you know, doing AB testing, conversion rate optimization. So I spent a couple of years doing that. And what, what ultimately started to inspire my, my decision to start a company was a few things. Number one, so my wife is from a family of entrepreneurs. Both of her parents have businesses. So she she was raised kind of with an entrepreneurial mindset versus me, you know, like my background, my dad 
worked for Intel for 25 years. And then, you know, he, he works for Adobe now. And, you know, so he's kind of a, a more traditional career man. For sure. And for sure. so that's kind of what I went into the work field expecting was, oh, okay, I'll go get a job. I'll work there for a while. So first was my wife saying, you've got this great skill set that a lot of companies need. Why don't you start a business? <laughs> and to me, that was just too risky at the time. It was, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to take a risk at that point. Gotcha. And so I, I continued to work in the field for a little while. And I started getting people that would ask me, friends, family, uh, you know, most people love this when, when you're the guru in the family for something. So everyone comes to you going, hey, can you take a look at my website and tell me for what sure. I should change? You know, and at first it's just like, oh, great, it's family. But then I started getting former colleagues and former bosses and companies that would reach out and say, hey, could you help us learn how to do what you're doing? And that's when I started to, you know, a light bulb kind of went on and it was like, oh, there seems to be some demand for what I, for what I do. And I'm not really in a position to take advantage of that. What ultimately led to me starting a business was my, my last job before I started my company was I, I was working for a company that was owned by, I, I won't name the group, but it was, it was owned uh, by a group of of investors gotcha. that, that owned a bunch of other companies. And I had several of those other companies come to me and ask for training and ask if they could pay me uh, to help them run tests on their website. Gotcha. And so I used that as kind of my jumping off point. I said, okay, well, I have an opportunity here. I could jump off and, and start a business at this point and And I have some interest. Ultimately, only one of them ended up becoming a client. But that's when I said, you know what? If, if I'm ever going to start a business, it's going to be now. Absolutely. I think the older I get, probably the more risk averse I will become. And so what the heck, let's try it out. So what I did, I met with a bunch of different mentors, a bunch of different entrepreneurs and asked them, if I'm going to start a business, what advice do you have? And I got a lot of really great advice. Some of the advice that I got, I think two pieces of advice that I got that were very influential. Mm -hmm. One was from a guy that has successfully started multiple businesses here in Utah, just kind of a serial entrepreneur. And his advice was, he said, don't kid yourself. Don't be the, the pipe dream entrepreneur. Set some realistic goals for yourself and have a timeline for yourself. Absolutely. If you haven't accomplished these goals by this date, you'll give it up. Because a lot of entrepreneurs start businesses with these great, grandiose visions, and they just drag their family along with them for mm -hmm. you know, 10 years before they finally realize, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> and so I, I set some milestones for myself. I said, here's where I want to be revenue-wise by six months. Here's where I want to be revenue-wise by 12 months. Now, I was starting an agency. And so you know, if, if I was starting most other kinds of businesses, th those would be ludicrous goals to set in place because, you know, most businesses don't turn a profit in their first year. But, um, you know, since I was starting an agency and, and by 12 months, I want to be making um, close to what I was making when I left the workforce. So that was the first piece of advice that was very influential. The second piece of advice that was very influential was actually counter to the goals that I set. But <laughs> the second piece of advice that I got was you have to have a reason for starting a business other than to make money. For sure. For sure. Because if the reason you're starting a business is to make money, that is going to become hollow really fast. You're going to lose motivation. You're either going to lose motiv motivation when you don't make enough money, or you're going to lose motivation when you make more money than you thought you would. Very and true. so either way, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. I put together kind of my why, like, why do I want to do this? And, it, and initially it was because I wanted to make, I wanted to make an impact. I wanted to help businesses make smart decisions. And then over time, 
it became, I want to build people. I want to build experts in this industry. I want to build a company. But I didn't originally set out to start a company, like to, to build a company with a bunch of employees. Um, so that that kind of, you know, that story we can talk through, that, that leads into the merger of why I ended up merging. But that's kind of what led to me starting my company. And within the, four, the first four months of starting my business, I had already exceeded my 12-month goals. Wow. And, um, and so I was very, very excited. I was a lot more successful than I ever anticipated I would be. And that brought a whole host of new challenges with it. <laughs> now, Startup Nation, I hope you caught some of those nuggets. I think the first one that really sticks out is like to really love what you do. Because when Chris talks about if you don't make enough money, you'll get discouraged. And if you do make more money than you expected, then you know you kind of lost that hustle, that, that grind, if you will. So I think that's a very important nugget that Chris pointed out. So Chris, <laughs> uh, let me ask you this, man. Tell us a little bit about the merging process. Because when you're merging two companies, you're not just merging just the two companies. You're merging cultures, you're merging, merging philosophies. You know, tell us a little bit about that process. And also, how's it been working with Jacob Asgard, the CEO of uh, Disruptive Advertising? Yeah, so it was a really difficult decision for me. So what, sure. what led to me wanting to merge, I mentioned, I kind of alluded to, which was I realized after about a year of running my business that I actually wanted to build a company. I wasn't sure if it was just going to be a lifestyle business or if I actually wanted to set out to build a, you know, an organization. Mm -hmm. And I realized after about a year of starting my company, I did want to build an organization. I loved developing people. I loved building expertise in other people. I loved creating a career for people. And I also realized that I wanted to make a much larger impact than I could make by myself. For sure. Um, on, on the world, on the business world. And so, you know, I, I started to realize, you know what, like in order to really do what I want to do, I need to build a business. And so as I started doing that, as I started hiring employees and I started working on scaling, there was just all kinds of challenges. I mean, any entrepreneur who, you know, starts a, a, a solopreneur business and then starts working into a, a you know business with employees knows of some of the challenges. It's like you already have your plate full with just the day-to-day -day of the business, whether it's financial things, whether it's you know managing client relationships, or that's actually right. executing or working like in the business. There's all kinds of challenges that just eat up your whole day. And then you add on top of that training employees, you know, it becomes a lot really fast. Cool. You know, looking looking forward. So I, I kind of created a uh, you know like a two to three year plan for myself of here's how I'm going to scale the company. And when I met Jake Badsgard, who's the owner of Disruptive Advertising, I actually met him about three months into starting my business. So okay. I met him at a, I met him at a local networking event. That was one of the ways that I practiced pitching my business was I attended uh, as many networking events as I possibly could in Utah. And it was great practice for me. You know, it was practice of getting me out of my comfort zone. It was practice of, you know, when you start a business and you've been a, you've been an employee your whole life. Absolutely. It's kind of intimidating to go and talk to other business owners. You know, like you don't have a lot of confidence in yourself. It's like, sure. I don't belong with these people. These people are smart and successful and I'm dumb, you know, and insignificant. <laughs> yeah. um, and so you have to break through that mental barrier. You have to, you have to break through that mental bar barrier, feeling like you're not good enough, feeling like you don't belong with these other successful people. You have to believe in yourself. And so that's one of the things that going to those networking events did for me is it helped me to realize I have something valuable to offer. Right. And you know what? All these other guys that I feel really scared of and are really intimidating are just normal dudes like me or normal women like me, you know, like they're just normal people. And so it was a great experience. So I met Jake Badsgard and we 
sat down together. And, uh, and at that point, he actually wanted me to, to merge my business with Disruptive. And again, I, this was three months in, and so I didn't actually know what I wanted to do with my business. And I was not interested at all in his offer at the time. And so we parted ways and um, he kind of tried to start a division of Disruptive that did what I do uh, and was not very successful with it. And meanwhile, I went and got my head on straight and figured out what I actually wanted to do. And so, you know, fast forward, a, a year and a half from there, we sat down and said, you know what? Like, I've got this three-year plan for myself. And if we merged businesses, it would become like a three-month plan instead of a three-year plan. You know, I, we could really, I could really accelerate my plans of what I want to do. And, you know, for Disruptive, they were saying, we've been trying to start what you're doing and we can't figure it out. So we're going to accelerate what we want to do. So that was the first piece is, is there a good fit of thing about merging? So does this accomplish my business goals? You know, does this, does this add to my, like my career and business progression or does it detract from that? Um, you know, do I feel like there's enough benefit here, enough upside for me to to want to step away from being like, you know, the, the owner, the sole owner of the business. Um, so all of those boxes were checked. And then the next piece, when you're thinking about merging companies is what you just brought up. So, okay, it makes business sense. Does it make people sense? Anytime you partner up with somebody, like it's a very big decision. I mean, it's comparable to marriage, really. You're, you're essentially marrying this person. They become your business spouse. And so we kind of went through a courting process of getting to know each other. Like, how do you work? How do I work? What are, you know, what motivates you? What are your goals? What are my goals? Do they align, you know? And do we even get along? Do we like each other? <laughs> right. That was a really yeah. important thing for me because I had had important. offers and I had had offers before from other companies that wanted to, you know, that wanted to integrate my my business into theirs and I did not like the owners. And it was like, we're gonna be working together a lot. We better get along. So I went through some of those things, you know, some of the gut checks of do, how do I feel about this? Do I feel good about it? Do I feel good about working with Jake? Do I feel good about the direction of the company? Do I like the other people that he has at Disruptive? Does he like kind of what I've built and the people that I have and those, those types of things? And I mean, ultimately it just, felt like a great fit and it has been i mean you know i've been it's been about two and a half years almost three years since we merged and there is not a day that goes by that i'm not grateful that i made that decision because it did all of the things i hoped it would do and there were nothing none of the things that i was fearing in terms of like working with a new business partner like all of my fears uh turned out to be non-existent here you know we click really well we're very honest and open that was one of the things that was most important to me is that we both needed to be very honest very vulnerable very transparent about our expectations about our frustrations with each other right. and that's something that we continue to practice on a weekly basis of what's frustrating you what could we do a better job of um let's let's be real with each other and talk about our expectations and talk about our goals so yeah it's been a really great move for me and it was a it was a hard decision and it was i think a, you know the right decision for for my business and and, and sometimes that you, you have to make those hard decisions right so i appreciate you sharing that you know it, it was not a, a easy decision to make you know because um is and you also brought up another interesting point where you talk about the networking i thought that was very interesting because we do have a lot of people that are kind of afraid to network and they feel exactly how you were saying that you felt as far as like, uh, you know, like all oh, these people are 
on another level than I am. Like, who am I? I'm just this little peon. So I'm glad you pointed that out. I appreciate that. Well, and I'll tell you just an interesting experience that I had. So at one of the networking groups I went to, I, I sat down and, and people were, you know, this was like they had a, an organized activity. So it was like you each go around and you say certain things about, you know, your business, bring up something that you're struggling with and you give each other advice. And I went like second in our, and we had like a group of eight people. And so I went like second. The first guy that went had this huge company, like, you know, 150 employees and, you know, probably $20 million a year in revenue. And, you know, he's talking through all these struggles. And I, I was just sitting there with like this pit in my stomach going, I can't talk after this guy. He's talking about real business issues. Right, like, right. My business issues are like, I'm my only employee and, you know, I don't know how to pitch my business. <laughs> you know, Like I had these things that to me, I, I was sitting there feeling like I wasn't good enough to be there. I was feeling insignificant. So this guy finished, then it was my turn. And so I started talking about some of my challenges and I was just very honest. And I, I didn't share how I was feeling. I didn't share that I was feeling like I wasn't good enough to be there, but it must have just um, oozed out of me on my facial expressions because as I shared my business challenges, several people in the group said I was in that exact same spot when I started my business like that makes a ton of sense and, and sure. they, tre For they sure. treated me like again as an equal as a peer as somebody that had valid business issues and I was sitting there going I'm not good enough to be here I'm I'm you know I'm just this one-man shop right now and these are all like very established businesses and that helped me to start challenging that fear inside of me that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't big enough or whatever. And, and it was a, a great experience for me. In Startup Nation, you know, when I hear Chris talk about that, it, it reminds me that like most entrepreneurs, you know, even if they're, they have like 200, 300 employees or whatever in their company, I think most entrepreneurs don't mind, you know, you know, talking about those frustrations, seeing other startups, you know, uh, entrepreneurs as peers because they understand and remember at once upon a time at that same point. So I think it's a mutual respect from uh, entrepreneurs across the board of like, you know, you had the courage to start something and not everybody's willing to do that. So I appreciate you yeah. sharing that, Chris. I really do. Just to add on to what you were saying, now that, I, you know, I've been, it's about uh, four years since I started my business, a little, a little more than that. Right. And now when I sit down with people that are considering starting a business, not only do I have a lot of empathy for where they're at, mm -hmm. but it, it actually, it, it's beneficial to me to talk through some of those challenges because a lot of the struggles that I had early on in my business, I've forgotten about those. And I've, I have forgotten some of the things that got me through those hard times. And so going back through those and reliving those and remembering, what did I do to get through that hard time? It's it's massively beneficial to me because sure. I need to remember to keep going through that process of figuring out who I am, of uh, figuring out why I wanna do what I'm doing. You know, a lot of the struggles that I had early on are struggles that I continue to have with a, just a different flavor now. And so it, it's, it, you're not only, you know, if you have fear of talking to other entrepreneurs, not only are you talking to people that understand you, like that are empathic towards you, you're also doing them a favor by helping them go back and remember some of these lessons they learned. Absolutely, thank you for sharing all of that, Chris. I really appreciate it. So let me ask you this, man. So like the entrepreneurial business tech space in Utah there is booming, right? Tell us about the entrepreneurial echo space there in Utah. Yeah, so it's, it's a, it is a pretty epic scene here in Utah. And um, you know, it kind of was all started when Omniture, which is now Adobe Analytics, okay. um, Omniture got started here and really created a, a great setting for tech companies 
Um, so, you know, they brought a bunch of developers to like web developers to Utah. They, uh, you know, established a great marketing uh, presence with, within the Utah culture. And now it's become one of the top places in the country to start a business because there's a lot of venture capitalists here now. And just a lot of, I mean, the unemployment rate is one of the lowest in the country here. Um, so there's just a lot of very talented people here, a lot of demand, a lot of supply, um, which is great for, for some things. It also makes it challenging for other reasons. So, it's, so the benefit of, of having a booming marketplace is there's a lot of potential clients here for me, right? I mean, I'm starting a B2B business. For sure. And, uh, and so there's a lot of people for me to talk to, you know, and, and now at this point, that's less relevant. I mean, at, at Disruptive, we've got close to 600 clients now and maybe 10% of them are local in Utah. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, when you're first getting started, it is nice to be able to just drive over to somebody's building and, and go in and talk to them. For sure. So that, that was a big benefit. But one of, the, one of the huge challenges that comes with that is because it's a very competitive place for employees, it is a very expensive to find talent. If I want a web developer, you know, my, my wife's family is up in Idaho and I could hire a great web developer up in Idaho for probably $50,000 a year. It's double that in Utah, at least, mm. you know, we're, we're not going to find a good developer here for less than $100,000 um, a year minimum. Uh, and so, so there are challenges, especially when you're starting up, like there's no way you can compete with some of these large businesses like Adobe that, you know, can afford to pay people, whatever. And so, so that's, that is a really interesting challenge to face as an entrepreneur to go, okay, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to just fork it out and, and say, okay, well, I'll just pay the talented people. Or am I going to take people that are less talented and coach them up and develop them? And if I do, then that comes with its own challenges, right? I mean, I'm not going to get somebody that is contributing at max capacity immediately. So it has been a really great learning experience for me in terms of my expectations for my business and my employees. Thank you for sharing that. Let me ask you this, Chris, who or what inspires you as an entrepreneur? I know you have your wife there who kind of pushed you uh, onto that entrepreneurial ledge, but who else inspires you uh, as an entrepreneur? So, I mean, my, my business partner, Jake, actually is... Okay is continually one of one of my inspirations partially like one of the reasons that I that I wanted to merge companies with him is we had very complementary skill sets he was very strong in areas that I am not strong in and and I'm pretty strong in areas that really complement his strengths and so one of the reasons that I admire him and one of the reasons that I still work with him is that he is a man who is constantly working on developing himself. Understood. And, and I'll give you an example of this. So we had a conversation a few weeks ago and, and I came away feeling great about it. Well, the next day he came to me and he said, Chris, I, I was just thinking about our conversation yesterday and I said this and this, and I'm so sorry that you probably felt like upset about that or like I wasn't being sensitive to how you're feeling or whatever. Like, you know, I realized that what I said wasn't, was insensitive and, and not appropriate and, and I'm sorry. And I hadn't even felt uh, upset about what he was doing, but he was looking at himself. He wasn't waiting for me to come and tell him to change. Like he was looking at himself, working on developing himself and becoming a better leader. And so, I mean, he's constantly working with, you know, professional coaches and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff to improve himself. And, and that's inspired me to do the same and to continually be working on myself as both a leader and a person. So he's one person that's really inspired me. And then there's another guy that was one of my 
mentors when I was first starting my business. His name's Andrew Smith. He owns a, a, a group here in Utah called the Four Foods Group that have started up hundreds of restaurants um, and, and is just immensely successful. And, and part of the reason that he's been an inspiration to me, he was the one who challenged me to have a goal that was not money. And one of the reasons that, that he has been inspiring is he's probably one of the top income earners in the state of Utah now. His business is wildly successful, and yet he continues to push forward with just a hunger and a desire to, I mean, his, his goal is to provide jobs, provide a living for, I don't even know how many people. I mean, at this point, I think it's over a thousand people. And, right. he, and he wants to do more. And I love that. I love to see that hunger and that appetite that goes beyond, um, that, that continues to inspire you even when you're making um, you know, millions of dollars per year. It's great to see that type of entrepreneurial fire uh, inside of somebody. So those the, those are a couple things that really are inspirational to me. For sure. Now, you, when, you, when you talk about Andrew Smith, and you talk about you know providing that living for, for his employees, right? Talk a little bit about you know the massive responsibility it is like when you're making decisions for the company to make sure you have their you know those employees or team members in mind because we have a lot of people who start businesses and call themselves entrepreneurs and want to call themselves bosses but they don't take into account the massive responsibility that comes with that talk about that a little bit chris if you would yeah and you know it is such a hard balance as an entrepreneur because I feel very strongly and you know Jake and I both feel very strongly that it's more important to care about the person than it is to care about the business's interests like independent of the person and so so you know we we try to always think about and care about the people that we're working with and one of the challenges that comes with that is um, sometimes your vision your your vision can get clouded when you're thinking very emotionally about you know about people Absolutely. In fact, there have been a few situations where we've kept employees on a lot longer than we probably should have because I mean and and really it was not that we cared about their feelings it was that because we liked them we didn't want to have a hard conversation with them and if we you know if I had been thinking about things in a more clear light if I was truly caring about this person I would do what was best for them and if what is best for them is letting them go if what is best for them is giving them a huge raise, either way, I can make that decision with, you know, with their best interests in mind. But what usually happens for entrepreneurs is you get some measure of success and then you start to make, you start to make decisions either in your best interest or in the company's best interest. And, and we stop thinking about people. We stop thinking about, you know, the, the people that we are working with. And so I feel really strongly that it's important to, to you know when you're approaching business decisions to think about what is the best like what is the best situation what is the best interest of all the people involved here um, and what is best for the company and hopefully we can find something where all of those align and if we can't then we then we need to make a decision about which one is more important to us got you thank you so much a lot of value in in that startup nation. I hope you really caught that for sure, because it's very important to sometimes have those hard conversations, even when you don't want to. So I appreciate you bringing that up for sure. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How do you like being on a startup life so far, Chris? I'm loving it. This is a great conversation. Awesome. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're getting great value from Chris's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life.
Hey business owner, the Startup Life reach is growing. Wouldn't you like your business to grow with it? Reach out to us to advertise on the Startup Life. You can reach us at 901-857-4818 or you can email me at dominic at askowlsolutions.com. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like this is a great music to have break on, but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music, but your business being advertised on it? Need more content from the Startup Life, you say? You can now sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. There is exclusive content written by yours truly, video content where I share even more of my business philosophies, and whatever crazy content I can think of out of that crazy head of mine. And at only $5 a month, yeah, $5 a month, this is more content for you, Startup Nation, to really get ahead of your competition. So instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint, you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to sign up. Let me ask you this, man. You know, a lot of times when we talk about entrepreneurship, and, and and starting a business and starting something new that sometimes you know either people have seen before or haven't seen before whatever the case may be but that risk part but we have those setbacks talk about what you learned from your biggest failure <laughs> i've had quite a few of them okay. i'll share i'll share the first big failure that i had because okay. I think that was it felt like the world was just falling apart around me so i mentioned earlier that my first client that I got came from um, a contact that I had at my previous job. Uh, and they were my largest client for a while. You know, I got a few other smaller clients and and then about four months into my business, I spoke at a conference and, and things just kind of blew up. But right before I, I, I did that, right before things just went nuts, this client of mine, that I had that I had been working with that was my largest client decided to cancel yeah. and I, I started to ask like okay well what's going on here like why are we canceling and the reason was now I mean I, I could try to justify it and say oh well you know it just wasn't the right thing for their business or whatever but in reality what it came down to is I didn't do a great job setting expectations and as a result thereof we were on two completely different pages about what direction we should be going and you know and so at the time I was sitting there going <laughs> I'll tell you two things that I learned number one I learned that I need to be um, I, I need to set very very clear expectations with everybody with clients and with employees because if we're not all on the same page we you know we could both be doing what we think is best and it's it's heading in two completely different directions sure. and that just that's just sets everybody up for frustration and failure um so that's one thing that i learned there the second thing that i learned going back to my amazing wife that has really inspired me you know i was talking to her that night and i was like man i think this client's gonna cancel i'm feeling really worried about what's gonna happen and she goes well do you have some other clients that um you know like in your pipeline like are there some other clients that we can start working with right and like <laughs> i'm i'm sad to say I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I should spend some time doing that. <laughs> <Right. Life laughs> I always best, right? Yeah, right. I mean, it's like I, I haven't spent any time building my pipeline because right. I, I got comfortable. And so, um, you know, I'm a very strong believer that failures are our steps to success. I like mean. failure is the path to success because if you learn something from every failure, you become a better entrepreneur every single day. If you learn something when one of your employees gets upset and quits, then you become a better entrepreneur every day. You know, we just got done uh, with a lawsuit that was filed against our company. Oh, wow. Um, okay. By, by a, a previous disgruntled employee. 
And, you know, and it's easy to like go into a state of victim of like, oh, this person sucks or whatever. But instead, you know, we, Jake and I have both, and, and one thing I've really respected with Jake, because, you know, he has a lot more at stake with this than, than I do or other people in the company. Um, but he, um, you know, he's, he's looked at this experience as, how can I become a better leader from this? What could I have done years ago? What could I have set up to, to have avoided this situation? And I'm going to start doing that now. I'm yeah. going to start setting better expectations. I'm going to start, I'm going to make sure we have a great employee agreement so that there's no ambiguity in there or whatever. Like, you know, I'm going to make sure that we've got great legal counsel or whatever. But each of those experiences can help you become a better, a wiser entrepreneur if you allow them to. And a lot of people do not. A lot of people, when there are failures and setbacks, go into a state of victim and Absolutely. poor me and or hating everybody else and blaming the problems on everybody else instead of taking extreme ownership for yourself. So that I, I'm a very, very strong believer that, that failure is one of the most critical times for a leader to, to learn. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really appreciate that. Let me ask a, a quick follow-up question because I'm noticing a theme in our conversation here, Chris. You know, when you mentioned Jake, and you mentioned Jake a lot, and it seems like you really uh, respect and admire you know, his, his, uh, uh, his way of always constantly improving himself. And, and it seems like you guys have a really good rapport. Do you guys build this outside of work as well? And how beneficial has that become? Yeah. So that's a great question. And we do. So I'll, I'll say two things on that because okay. I remember as an employee, <laughs> I remember looking at people that would spend time together outside of work and I resented those people. I was so mad because I go, mm. oh, they have an unfair advantage. Like, uh, you know, I don't get to hang out with that person because he's older than me and whatever. We don't have common interests. And so, so mm. I'm at some disadvantage here in the workplace. So I will say that, that what spending time outside of work has done for us is, um, is more helping us have a great love for each other. Gotcha. It is not necessarily like a direct business benefit, but, but it does have indirect benefits, right? Like yeah. when you really care about the people that you work with, when you really understand the people that you work with, when you know what their wife is like and what their mm -hmm. kids are like and, you know, what their home environment looks like, when that person comes in and is feeling stressed one day, instead of going, oh my gosh, like what a jerk, you can go, oh, you know what? Like he's got a lot of kids at home. Um, you know, he has a wife that doesn't get to see him very often. Like, right. I can understand that. I, I can understand him as a person. And so that's kind of what it's done for me. And I can't speak for Jake, but I think the same is true of him is we're able to see each other as people because we know a little bit more about each other's personal, like human side. Like when you see, you know, somebody that you really respect professionally, when you see them, you know, playing catch with their kids, you gain a different type of respect and a different level of, of care and, and, compassion for that person for sure um, because again you're seeing them as a person instead of just like this this like untouchable um invulnerable professional being right so, exactly. yeah, I, I i do think that it is beneficial and if you don't have that you know for people that don't have that with their business partners with their employees um you can still get that in other ways um, okay. you can still see the human side of somebody, even if you don't want to hang out on the weekends or go on double dates or whatever, like you can still work on learning about that person, asking questions that are not always business related 
and really trying to um, learn like who is this person like where do they come from what makes up this person that I work with other than just their professional characteristics and and that for me is a very important thing for in order for me to work successfully with people that I that I'm interacting with and I'm glad you shared that because that I, I wanted to ask that question because and, and you, you know you really hit the uh, nail on the head there because it's really important startup nation to kind of see people uh, as humans. A lot of times, you know, as we go along in our entrepreneurial journey or in our workspaces, we just see people as this drone that just comes to work to do a job. And, and so we kind of get frustrated with them when they come to work and something's kind of off or whatever the case may be. And they're a little upset or the little off or whatever the case. And we just say, well, you need to, you know, buck up buttercup. But like, I think what Chris is, you know, no, seriously though. But I think what Chris is, is, is sharing with us is that, you know, we sometimes, it's okay to socially invest in our team members and our employees, especially for the entrepreneurs. So thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you sharing that for sure. And one, one thing I, I will add on to that is it's Absolutely. also, it's also important that you do so with the right motive, because if, you're, if, you're, if your motive is to try to manipulate the like the political or power situation at work by saying, well, I'm going to get together with this person outside of work. So then they'll like me more. Then they'll, then they'll support my business objectives more. Like that does not fly because people can smell the, the disingenuousness on you. Um, and, and it ultimately will end up tainting your relationship. And so it's important to have the right motives when you're going about this thing. I actually want to get to know this person not like, what can I get out of this? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. Thank you for sharing that added piece. That's an excellent point. Uh, let me ask you this, man. What's a popular misconception about digital marketing? There's, there's a lot of, oh, fair a lot of misconceptions. Um, <laughs> I, will, I will say this. There is a very popular misconception with digital marketing that it is easy to have quick success with digital marketing. And, and part, part of the reason that that is a popular um, belief or a popular myth is because some people do have very rapid success with digital marketing. It's like you have a great innovative product and you have a really like uh, excited, passionate audience and you start running ads online and you send them to your website and things just click. Like mm -hmm. There are businesses that take off in three to six months with a great product, a great service and, and, and a lot of people assume that that is the norm. Right. right and assume that because this other guy had success very quickly that i can have success very quickly and 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 one of the reasons that that is so damning in your in like a professional mindset is sure. any kind of professional success is a constant process of success and failure like we just talked about mm -hmm. and in order to find most successes as like this is true of digital marketing as it is true of other things a lot of times it takes a lot of small failures to lead up to a huge success. And so, you know, that is something that I spend a lot of time educating our clients on, uh, you know, as, as I'm talking to our clients is, okay, we have these huge business goals. We're working towards those business goals. And you know what? There is a step-by-step -step process and strategy that's going to get us there. It's not going to happen overnight. It's it, like we might luck out and accidentally do the right thing, but more likely than not, we're going to do the wrong thing first that's going to work a little bit. And then we're going to iterate and do a better job and then iterate again and do a better job and, and improve over time so that, you know, six to nine months from now, we'll be meeting the business goals, but it may not happen right away. And right. so that's, 
again, just having an opened mind, um, being willing to learn, being willing to experiment, and being willing to iterate and change and improve um, is something that most businesses don't, it doesn't come naturally to most entrepreneurs. And I get it because most entrepreneurs are like, let's go, go, go. We need to blow this sucker up next, you know, next month. And uh, like everybody needs this. So everyone should be buying it now. Right. <laughs> Instead of going, okay, well, yes, everybody might need this product that I have. And I need to figure out what they need to see. What, what do they need to know about this product to know they need it? Maybe I think they need it because um, it's the most innovative science, scientific innovation of the century. But the reason that they need it or the reason that they want it is because it's cheaper than the other alternatives or because they, there's a 30 day money back guarantee. So they know they can try it and they can return it if they don't want it. Like For maybe sure. that's the most important thing to them. Right. Um, so we, a lot of times as businesses and as entrepreneurs, we, we dig ourselves into a hole by assuming that we know when should when something should work how it should work and what is ultimately going to lead our customers to buying that from us the truth is we have no idea even if we've talked to our customers and asked them what do you want what messaging do you want to see what kind of website experience do you want we could even ask them that and get the wrong answer mm. <laughs> because half the time people don't even know people That's you know true. like Harvard did Harvard did a study on how conscious people are of their purchasing decisions and this is a really interesting psychological study but they found that about 90% of most purchase decisions are subconscious and so what that means is if I ask somebody why did you buy from me I'm getting 10% of the pie I'm getting 10% of the reason they actually bought from me because the other 90% they couldn't even articulate like you know um well i saw this messaging um and you know and then i came to your site and then i left and then i kept seeing your ads everywhere i mean sometimes people will say that but they can't convey like why did that message appeal to me in the first place um what what was it about your ad did you have an image that was that that resonated with me was it the messaging was it there was a dollar amount in there that caught my eye like what was it exactly that ultimately led to me clicking on your ad and so that's that's one of the dangers that comes with and I just see this every single day mm -hmm. is um, we as as business owners we as entrepreneurs we find something that sounds like a good answer to us and we fixate on that my clients told me that because they saw my picture on the website they felt connected with my business and so we need to have my picture on every page of the website <laughs> gotcha. right Right. We make a bunch of assumptions instead of going, okay, this is what this is my hypothesis. This is what I think is going to happen. Let's test it. Let's try it out. Let's see what happens. And if it doesn't work, we'll try a different approach. Thank you for sharing that, but because you're you're absolutely right. You know, I think a lot of times when you talk about putting your picture everywhere on the website, I think a lot of times some people kind of forget that like there's your personal brand and then there's the business brand, and sometimes they don't necessarily need to always be one and the same. So. I appreciate you sharing that for sure. What's your average day uh, look like? Uh, you know, from sun up to sundown, be as specific as possible. So kind of depends on which day it is. I try to get up pretty early a couple times per week. And when I say pretty early, I mean like between 4.30 and 5. Um, and I, and I, try to, I try to do something proactive for myself twice yeah. a week. And so there, there's a lot of different things that, that I can do, you know, in that realm, but I, I try to do something to develop myself as a person. Um, 
you know, and so that could be going and doing service that could be, um, you know, going and connecting with some friends or doing some exercise or, you know, like there's a lot of things that I could do to take care of myself as a person. But, and I, and I try to, I, I wake up early for a couple reasons. Number one, it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I don't want to do that. And, and it's, it's good for me to constantly remind myself I can do hard things. For like, sure. I, I can, I can choose to do something that's uncomfortable. I don't need to shy away from that. And the other, the other reason is I take it a lot more seriously when I'm sacrificing sleep to do it. And so, so, so that's a couple times a week. I do that on an, uh, on the other days. Um, you know, I typically will get, I'll show up in the office around eight 30 and, uh, and I spend the first little bit planning out my day making sure that, that my schedule, like a lot of times I'll get just meetings put on my calendar. And so I have to make sure I don't have overlapping meetings, overlapping schedules. So, I mean, I take some time to plan my day uh, right. to make sure that everything looks good. Uh, and then to just, you know, clear out my inbox. And then I'm usually pretty busy from about nine until five or five thirty. Um, and, and what I spend a lot of my time doing, I probably spend half of my time meeting with our employees and strategizing with their clients. So I go through and I will help them create awesome strategies for their clients. We will, we'll talk about current issues. We'll talk about challenges they're having with clients. We'll talk about challenges they're having with the strategy and, and how to resolve those. Um, I spend probably a quarter of my time actually jumping on some of those phone calls with clients, either handling like escalation type situations mm -hmm. or, um, or other type of, of scenarios. And then the other 20% of my 25% of my time is just spent with, you know, administrative uh, meetings, sometimes, you know, like one-on-ones training scenarios, those types of things. But you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a combination of those things as well as that doesn't, that doesn't even include uh, jumping on sales calls. And so, you know, I probably spend a few hours every week actually jumping on the phone with, with potential customers and, and, uh, and strategizing with them and talking about, um, you know, talking about opportunities to grow their business. So, so, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of everything in there, which is true again, of like most entrepreneurs, you're going to do a little bit of a lot of things every day. And one of my biggest struggles is making sure that I, that my schedule is not too reactive because all of the things I just mentioned are good things. And that doesn't include a lot of like, I would consider it like quadrant two activities or things that are, that are not urgent, but are important, like innovating my product and thinking about how to improve our current processes, how to thinking about how to improve our, our training experiences, thinking about um, how to, market our business better like those are those are those are activities that that often fall by the wayside when i just become reactive with my calendar and so i usually try to spend some time at the beginning of every week blocking off uh time periods on my calendar uh, to work on some of those quadrant two activities some of those things that are not urgent but are really important for me to be thinking about so chris man tell us a little bit about disruptive advertising and how it meets the needs of its clients so I, I can uh, summarize disruptive advertising by saying we help businesses find the right audience for them to be marketing to, drive them to the website, and make sure that those people convert. So, you know, we, we work really hard on identifying what does your audience need to see in order to either become a lead of your business mm -hmm. or purchase your product. And so we, we work on, you know, we really specialize on driving relevant traffic through advertising on Google, advertising on Facebook, LinkedIn, 
you know, other social channels. So we are, we are experts at driving quality traffic through those paid channels. And then we are experts, you know, and my, my area of expertise is on, uh, on website conversion rate optimization, which is, which is different, by the way. I talk to people almost on a daily basis that say, oh, yeah, I've got a UX web designer. He understands, like, user experience. Um, and it is different than that because user sure. experience is about best practices and website testing is about ex exploring um, and experimenting on what people actually want to see. It's, it's a way to refine your site design instead of saying, oh, everybody wants to see this, so let's just do something. So that, that's kind of how I would summarize the business. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, Startup Nation, if you were to go to disruptiveadvertising.com, uh, you'll be able to get a, a, a free PPC or pay-per-click proposal for your business, which I highly suggest that you do that. And if you would like to do that, Startup Nation, the uh, address is there for you in the show notes for easy access. But, you know, Chris, you know, it's a new year, 2019. Uh, what's the number one thing people should know about when it comes to pay-per-click management? Um, one of the things that, that we see across the boards, um, and you'll see this, like, if you go to our homepage, we have, we have a statistic on there that, that is based on several thousand audits we've done on um, PPC accounts. But, but we have a statistic on there that 76% of Google and Facebook budgets are wasted. And... And again, this, this goes from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies. There is so much money that we are wasting online because, and this is, this is part, this goes back to what I said earlier about constantly being willing to learn, because a lot of businesses will find something that works and just do that same thing forever. Gotcha. Right? Yep. It's like, hey, we created, we found an audience on Facebook that really resonates. Let's just pepper the crap out of these guys and make sure that they're seeing our ads as often as possible. And we stop exploring. We stop experimenting. We stop going, yeah, we found one great audience. What if there are 10 other audiences out there that are also good for us that we're not currently taking advantage of? Or, hey, we've got an ad that's running right now that's performing really well. Let's start testing. Let's figure out why that ad performs so well and let's create 10 others like it. So that we can really like nail down and refine like what it is about our messaging that is that is resonating with people. So yeah, I mean, a lot of times what happens is we will set up campaigns, they start to see some kind of ROI, and we just leave them because we don't want to we don't want to break something that's not broken already. You know, it's like sure. we're we're trying. We we don't think we need to fix anything because it because it's not broken. And so a lot so a lot of the opportunities that we see for helping our clients initially are number one, let's figure out what you're doing. That's actually working. And then let's identify almost always there's something or, or several things that you're doing that is not working that you're not even aware of. So let's find out what are the things that are not working. Are you showing ads to customers in locations that are very unlikely to purchase from you? You know, we'll often go in and look at where are the ads being shown? Where are we getting a lot of clicks from? Are those locations converting? Are, you know, if we have an audience on Facebook that's working really well, is it really working for all of the people in that audience? Or is there a subset that we really should be ref refining and marketing to? And the other 7% of it is, uh, is, wasted, is wasted spend. So, so that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that we see pretty frequently. And then the other, the other thing, going back to the website that I would say that's very similar to this, is on the website most of the time, there's not a major problem on your website. So you're usually not going to be aware of the opportunities you have to convert more traffic on your website. And so again, one of the challenges is 
we built our website, it's converting pretty well, let's just leave it alone. Or what businesses will say is, okay, yeah, well, we'll, we'll leave it alone, then we'll, we'll come back to that next year and we'll do a big website redesign. The challenge with just doing that, with just doing a website redesign each year, is you haven't really learned in the last year what makes a great website for your audience. You're just trying to take what you're already doing and make it look a little bit better, um, which, won't really, it, in most cases, it doesn't really move the needle. Unless you have spent some serious time and, and done a, a really great strategy in testing your website experience and finding out what is it, what is it about this landing page that people are responding well to? Is it the headline? Is it the content? Is it the testimonial I have on there? Is it the reviews that I have? Right. Is it that I have a great call to action? Is it that I have a great offer? Like, what is it about this page that's working so well? Because if I don't know that, I'm operating blind as a business owner. I hear that. And so, so that's one of the things that like in 2019, if I could challenge every entrepreneur to do something, it would be to dig into the stuff you're doing well and find out why is this working. Start, start getting experimental. Start challenging your assumptions about why things are working well. Run some tests. Challenge your assumptions. Um, dig deeper dig beyond the surface level of we have a good ROI and ask, why do we have a great ROI? Do we have a great ROI with all of our audience or just part of our audience? Are we converting well because our website is awesome or are we converting well because we have a decent product and we could be converting way better if we had a better website, you know, like dig in and ask some of those questions this next year and you will become a much more educated, a much better businessman because next time you go to do a website redesign, you will know, we need to have this, 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 and this. And our website needs to say this. It needs to have this much content. It needs to have this type of image or no image or a video here, whatever, because I have data proving that that's exactly what we need. Um, that's a really empowering place to come from as a business owner. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Also, Startup Nation, on the website, there's a blog. And one of the blog posts talks about uh, the power of podcasts. And so, Chris, I wanted to talk to you really quickly about why content marketing, whether it be podcasting, writing blogs, or whatever the case may be, why is content marketing so powerful for the entrepreneur? There's a lot of reasons. And I'll, let me first tell you why most people don't uh, do more content marketing. Okay. I'll tell you why, why I didn't do content marketing for the first couple of years of my career. Number one, I told myself I didn't have time, which is a lie. It's just saying I would rather spend my time doing other things, All right? Number two, I hate writing. So like writing a, the idea of writing a blog post is just despicable to me. <laughs> it's like the, uh, I, I, I just, it's pure drudgery. And, and part of the other reason is it doesn't usually provide an immediate ROI. And so a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we become fixated on things that are going to provide an immediate benefit to our business. Absolutely. Um, and so why content marketing is great and why people should do it is con any kind of content, if you're providing valuable content, whether it's in the form of a podcast or a blog post or a video or you know whatever type of content it is that you are creating, if you're creating good quality content, that can provide value for your business for many years. We actually have a blog post on our site that, that somebody at our company wrote three years ago that still to this day drives almost 100,000 visitors to our site per month. Wow. Um, just, just for a blog post. And it's because it was a very relevant, very well-written, very useful blog post. And evergreen, and right? It's evergreen. And so it's Absolutely. just providing value for us like years beyond the, 
the the time it was actually written and so so with with podcasts in particular this like kind of scratches my itch in several ways one of the things i mentioned i hate writing right and so a podcast is a great way to sit down and talk about some real issues you know like you and i've been talking about some real challenges that entrepreneurs face for sure that's that's valuable content that's valuable information i wish that i had listened to startup uh podcasts when i started my business i i i wasn't really even aware that podcasts existed back then i mean that's how out of the loop i was but i Some wish people that are i still there and don't know for sure yeah but i mean i wish that i had um a podcast to turn to to go Oh, I'm not the only one who faces these challenges. Oh, that's how this guy got through this challenge. Oh, that I mean that's really beneficial. And so I mean, we can sit down and we can chat for an hour and we can talk about real issues and we can have a connecting conversation and then it's it's put out there on the web for people to continue finding months and months and months later. And that just that provides again, it's kind of the long-term strategic thinking. Um it's the type of crop, it's like a perennial flower. you plant it once and it just keeps coming back every year or whatever and uh and so it's it's a very smart thing to do and again it is one of those things that falls into quadrant 2 it's not urgent it is very important and at this point with disruptive between the blog posts we do between uh podcasts that you know that I'm on or the, or conferences that I speak at or other things uh, about 90% of the leads that we generate are from content marketing and so it is is a is a powerful tool for your business I hear that thank you for sharing that how do you see digital marketing evolving in the next 3 to 5 years um i mean digital marketing is evolving every single year it's probably one of the most rapidly changing industries on the planet and so here here's what i believe is going to happen we're already seeing some of this start to happen so ai artificial intelligence is is already starting to become a thing things like uh chatbots that can um you know that can replicate human inter- interaction are already starting to pick up on places like facebook or on websites that kind of stuff i think those are going to get more sophisticated um mm-hmm. and so i think that what digital marketers are going to need to become great at is not necessarily doing every single thing turning every single knob but digital marketers are going to need to become really great at working with artificial intelligence type things like you know Google and Facebook are constantly rolling out like smart shopping um options where where Google will just figure out what it should be showing and who it should be showing it to mm-hmm. and so what we as marketers need to be good at is we need to be good at giving the right inputs into that system so that it can go out and and find the right things to be successful and then we also need to be good at digging in and really analyzing um data so that If there is something that's not caught by an artificial intelligence system, we're we're good enough that we can go in and and audit and analyze that data and say, "Oh, there's a there's a problem here." Like it it makes sense why Google is showing my ads to these people. Like right. it makes sense why a machine would show my ads to these people, but I don't want to show my ads to these people. <laughs> gotcha. Right? So sure. so those sure. are the things that uh, I think that's how digital marketing is going to shift is that is that the role that we have as marketers is going to become a psychologically i need to understand my audience mm-hmm. i need to become better at understanding my audience so that i can point this ai program in the right direction um and so that we have the best chance for success that that's probably the thing i think is going to change the most chris i think all entrepreneurs have a superpower what's yours and why um <laughs> my superpower i'm just i'm going to say this only because it's something i've worked very very hard on and it was not originally a superpower of mine I I would say it is vulnerability and the way that I describe vulnerability is being right. emotionally honest and that was not originally a 
strength of mine. It was a major weakness. But being vulnerable is, I think, one of the most critical things a leader can do. Because when you can sit down with an employee and say, I'm struggling right now. I actually don't know what the best thing is for us to do right now. Right. Um, and I would love your help. Like that is, that builds thousands of dollars of emotional value with, with your employee, which again, that's not the point, but you're being, you're being open, you're being honest and other people are able to help you. Whereas when, what I used to do, which is just bottle it all up inside and try to put on a strong face that ultimately leads to me self-destructing because I'm just trying to sweep everything under the rug. I'm trying to pretend like I've got everything figured out. Everything's awesome. Everything's great. Right. Um, and that is not the truth. And when, you know, when I put on this like Superman face that everything's awesome, everything's great, business is great, I know how to make every every decision great, then my employees feel like they're not good enough. This is like, mm. Chris has it all figured out, so right. I must easy. suck, right? right. This is like, oh, Chris is a human being. He struggles, I struggles, you know, I struggle. I'll help him, he'll help me. Like, let's, let's create a team effort here. So I, I think that is a really critical thing for most leaders to have, and it's something I, work really hard on practicing every day. Once again, Chris, we want to thank you so much for coming on the Start of Life. You gave us some great value today. Any last uh, nuggets of, of wisdom or words of encouragement you want to leave with Startup Nation? Um, I actually have an offer uh, that I would that I would love to, to share with, uh, with Startup Nation. So we we I, love so, offers. <laughs> so I get questions all the time from people that are like, you know what, we're probably not the right size to work with you guys as a client, but mm -hmm. I would love to start doing like some, you know, A-B testing on my website. How should I get started? So I created a, an A-B testing starter guide that people can download. Okay. Um, and it has all the tools that I recommend. It has strategies, tests that I would recommend running. Um, it has a lot of great stuff in it. So people can get that by going to disruptiveadvertising.com slash guide. There is a box on there that, that you can check if you are interested in talking with someone at Disruptive. Uh, but if you just want the guide, just don't check the box and, uh, and you can grab the guide and be on your way. We want to thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life, man. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. It was, it was awesome. No worries. No worries. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. Chris is an excellent example of a great entrepreneur. I say this because he talks about serving his clients. He talks about really trying to help them and their business get to the next level. And when you think about your business, Startup Nation, are you doing that? Ask yourself, are you serving your clients? Are you doing everything you can to give them the best value possible? And I believe Chris Daly, the way he does business at Disruptive Advertising, he's doing exactly that. Because marketing is something we all have to do, Startup Nation. And when you have a person on your team like Chris, it makes those troubled waters just a little bit calmer. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as can be now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life. The Startup Life. You know